yesterday's yesterday's daf ends on 38 um 38 ends right at the bottom with the uh, the practice of what we do today in terms of how we say halal right and indeed that's the practice we say today so right at the top of 39a lama tesma aleph moshe shafar ka'amr right so rashi says what does moshe mean rashi it make, makes it sound like it's an honorific that whoever was the greatest or scholar of the generation people used to call him moshe right it was a way of saying wow that's how great you are you're the moshe so he said, well, right? So he says, Elohasam, the problem is, this is not exactly so true what you just said, right? The, the understanding that you were trying to express that they say, Baruch Haba, right? Um, they say, Baruch Haba B'Shem Hashem all at once and not responsibly as the initial way of saying it seemed to have been. What's the reason? It's at the end of they're finishing the matter and therefore there's no real proof of this. So the fact that you're saying that they say it together that's not really, um, it's not really a proof to the earlier principles that we were going through yesterday in terms of what you're able to derive from the, the practices of how halal's parts of it are repeated and parts of it are just said uh, at the same time or the same words. <coughs> Excuse me. Amar Rava. Rava says, A person should not say, and then pause and then say, right? Say it all together as one is one uh, quick statement. So it's a similar idea where we have this phrase of Moshe Amrit, where it is uh, a quizzical thing that although you're the God of Adar, I think you didn't say this correctly. What is why? What's this problem over here? So rather, both here and there, in other words, the, the matter of St. Kaddish and the matter of St. Tehillim, Right, is uh, it is okay to actually take a little bit of a pause, right? So you don't have to say the Baruch Haba, you could say Baruch Haba and then a pause and then Mashim Hashem. And you could say Amen, Yehesh Me Raba, Mevorach Le'olam, right? That, that you could split up as well. So the Mishnah said a place in which the custom is to repeat it and you repeat it. Tana, we learned in Abraisa. Rebbe would say over certain words in Halal after, after it had been said by the, by the Shliach Tzibar. Parta would add actual words to the words that um that Rabbi would say. My Moisif, what would he add? said He would actually repeat from Oitcha um, in, in the in, in Halal, he from starting from Oitcha, which is towards the end of um Kufyud Ches, I believe. So starting from there, he would actually start repeating up until the end of that entire capital, the entire chapter. This is only true at the end of Halal, where we finish with the bracha, right? But when it comes to making a bracha before Halal, it's not just a minute to make a bracha, it's a mitzvah to make a bracha. This is a very important principle, it's a fundamental principle in brachas. All the mitzvahs, whenever we're making what is called a birchas ha-mitzvah, a bracha made on a mitzvah, the bracha should be made right before you do the mitzvah. There are times when it's not possible, right? In those cases, you don't. For example, right? you're not supposed to make a bracha. You wake up in the morning and you didn't wash your hands yet. You shouldn't be saying Hashem's name, so you can't make the bracha until after you wash your hands, right? Another example, if you have someone who's converting to Judaism, right? They are supposed to make a bracha of al-tvila, right? That they're going into the mikvah, they're dipping themselves, they're mercy. The problem is they can't make that bracha before they dip because they're not Jewish yet. So of course they make the bracha afterwards.
So there are exceptions, but they are the exceptions that prove the world that ideally you make the bracha right before doing the mitzvah. Umay mashma, the Gemara says like this. Umay mashma, the high over lishna da'akdumehu. How do you know that when it says over la'asiyasin, that it should be done, that it really refers to doing it right beforehand? Where do you see that? The Amar of Nachma Yitzvah, of Nachma Yitzvah taught, as it is written, by Yaratz Achimatz, and Achimatz ran, Derach Akikar, he ran through the valley, by Yavar Esakushi, and he passed by the Kushi, right? This is when they're coming to tell David Hamalach that Shaol is dead, right? So Achimatz overruns the Kushi, who's coming very excitedly to tell David Hamalach what happened. And Achimatz is a little bit wiser and realizes that David Hamalach should not be told. Um, exactly the way that the Kushi is going to tell him. He's not actually going to be so happy with this information. So he runs past him. What do we see? We see the words Vayavar Esakushi. So Vayavar seems to imply that he comes first. Abaya Amar, Abaya says, Mehacha, from a different place. And he passed over before them. Another version of what, what the reason is. Mehacha, from here. Vayavar, Malacham, right? Malcham. And their king passes in front of them, and Hashem is at the head of them all. So we see, once again, this word over refers to before. Okay, interesting halacha. If you buy a lulu from your friend during the year of Shvias, right, which is relevant this year, by the way, he gives you an esrig as a matana, as a present. You're not allowed to buy something on Shvias. Okay? Gemara is going to analyze. Why is it that it's okay to buy the lulu, but it's not okay to buy the esrit? Now, why are you not supposed to buy something on shviyas, right? You're not, you're not supposed to be doing sukhayra. Right? You're not supposed to be doing business with something that is a shviyas fruit, right? It has sanctity. It can be given over to somebody, and that people are allowed to eat it. You're not supposed to waste it. You're, you're supposed to use it for its intended purpose, but you're not allowed to make money on it, okay? So let's see what the mission is trying to teach us. The is going to analyze this. Let's say the person who's selling you the lulu doesn't want to give you the esrit as a present. Amravuna, Ravuna says, He should do something interesting. He should say like this, I'm going to buy a lulav from you, but I'm going to be paying you an extraordinary price for that lulav. And that extraordinary price for that lulav is going to cover the price for the esrit. But it's not explicit that he's buying an esrit. Right? Because it's not permitted to actually buy something that was grown on, on, Shvi, on Shvius. And the reason is because it's, uh, it shows a different, uh, it shows a, a lack of respect, right? To, to actually be paying money for it. Right. So therefore, so therefore you shouldn't be buying it explicitly. So when you buy it, it should be, I'm buying the lulub. The lulub you're allowed to buy. The Gemara is going to analyze why the lulub is not a problem that it was grown on GPS. And therefore you should throw in the price of the esrig as well. But let's say, why can you pay him directly for the esrig? The fee, she'ain moistrin de may perish fees amaras. You don't pay money for a fruit of the seventh year to an amaras. Someone does not know the halacha, does not follow the halacha properly. The Tanya we learned in a b'risa. You don't give the value for the fruits of Shviyas to an Amaretz because he's not going to treat the money that was used to purchase the Shviyas fruits, the Shemitah fruits. He's not going to treat it with a level of respect because he's Amaretz. There's no the halacha. How much are you allowed to buy using money for Paris Shviyas? Only the amount of money for the food of three meals. Only the amount of money that is permitted to buy for the, the amount of money that it would be necessary to buy three meals worth of food. Why is that okay? So the answer is that this money is for three meals worth of food is permitted to, uh, for Shabbos, that it, if it's Arab Shabbos, you're allowed to give the Amara, it's enough money for three meals for his Shabbos. And since you're allowed to do it for Shabbos, you're also allowed to do it on a weekday as well. 
but let's say he gives over more money. And now there's going to be a concern that perhaps this Amaretz is going to use this money and it's going to use it in ways that Perishvia should not be used. Yemar, he should say, basically the person who is buying it, right? So he's handing over money to this Amaretz and he's purchasing something from him. So he should say to himself, the money that I'm giving over, it should be mecholol, it should be consecrated, the kedusha, the holiness that is now in this money, because I used it to buy peros, the fruits of shvias of the seventh year. That kedusha, that sanctity, should go be consecrated onto the fruits that I have in my house, and then those fruits will then have now achieved a higher level of sanctity, and they will only be able to be eaten. And now the person who was buying the fruits that actually are shvias. Not only are those fruits shvias, but the money, the value that he paid for those fruits are also now going to be nischalal. They will be consecrated, the holiness, onto the fruits at home. And those fruits will also have to be eaten as if they have the holiness of shvita. That it's permitted to pay money for the amount of for three, meals worth of, uh, three meals worth of money. That's only true if the Amaretz is not, is actually selling something that was mufkar, some, selling something that had been rendered ownerless on Shemitah, and then he picked it up and he decided to sell it. But let's say you want to buy something from the Amaretz who does not know the laws of Shemitah at all, and he thinks that he's allowed to actually stop people from taking his stuff. He doesn't realize that it has to be hefker. Well, in that case, it is completely forbidden to pay any money for those fruits because it is forbidden to actually stop other people from taking your fruits. On Shemitah, the entire concept of Shemitah is that everything should be rendered ownerless, right? That we should recognize that it's not our work that gives us value, but it is HaKadosh Baruch Hu who gives us value. So uh, same way on Shabbos, we take a break from all of our work for the six days of the week. So in the Shemitah year, we take a break from our work of the other six years of the cycle, and we recognize that Hashem gives it to us. So therefore, we have to render it ownerless. So the entire case the Mishnah is talking about is where an Amaretz took something that was ownerless and then tried to sell it. But if the Amaretz was not, per, was not permitting anyone to take that which was in his own field, then you can't give him any money at all for, those, for that pay risk, for those fruits. Master of Sheshis, of Sheshis asks a question. If somebody buys something which is ownerless and he buys three meals worth, and not, not more, for a mini, I'll ask you a question. Right? Um, these are different types of uh, vegetables. So these are all different types of vegetables. You don't have to take meister on these things, right? There's no meister halacha. You have to give a tent to the levy. And you're allowed to buy it from anybody during the year of Because these types of things are not typically in, in grown in fields in ways in which they are guarded. So therefore, there's no halacha, there's no limitation to the amount that you can buy. We don't see any limitation or any restriction that it can only purchase three meals worth of money that we don't see. So the Gemara is asking, who told you that when it comes to ownerless produce, you have a limitation of three meals? It doesn't seem to be true. There's no limitation at all. There's no limit. As long as it's ownerless, then you don't, you're allowed to buy as much as you want. Who might say love a He asked this question and he answered it. Indeed, the only thing that they taught is that you're allowed to buy enough food for three meals worth of the day, but they didn't say you're allowed to buy unlimited. Similarly, Rabbi Barachana said the name of Rabbi Echanan. 
Oh, once again, we're only talking about the amount of money that you're allowed to use, the amount of food that you're allowed to purchase is the amount of food for three meals and no more. My mashma, the high man, lishna, the mezainihu. How do you know that this word man is a word which teaches us or refers to food? as it is written, right? And this is um, in Daniel. And it says that the king appointed for them the, the, um, Appointed for them something which was going to be a portion of food. So we see that mun is a reference to food. If so, the Gemara asks the of Nami, why are you allowed to buy the Lulav? The Lulav is also produce of the seventh year. So how can we not allowed to buy the Esther, but you're allowed to buy the Lulav? Gemara says, Lulav The way it works is like this. This is a, a, a Gemara in a couple of different places. Esther is a very unique status in terms of what Shemitah year it, it follows. So Lulav, the lulav that you buy in the seventh year, the way in which you define the definition of was this lulav a sixth-year lulav or a seventh-year lulav is based on when it blossoms. So a lulav which you cut in the seventh year must have blossomed before Rosh Hashanah. So if it blossomed before Rosh Hashanah, it's not in the Shemitah cycle. It's actually the lulav from last year. Whereas mm-hmm. the esrog is different. The way that you define which Shemitah, which year of the Shemitah cycle the esrog is considered to fall into is based on what year you pick it. And that's what we're about to read in the Gemara. It should also be considered to be a sixth year esrig that went into the seventh year. When it comes to an esrig, we actually follow the day, the, sorry, the year in which it is picked is the year is considered to be the year of which cycle it, can, it follows. So if you cut the esrig after Rosh Hashanah, the seventh year, then when you want to sell that esrig, you got a problem. You're not allowed to sell perish vias. But the sixth year lulav that you are allowed to sell, what do you mean? They grew in exactly the same time period and they were picked in exactly the same day even. But the fact of the matter is, like I said, there's something unique about an esrig that it goes based on the year in which it was picked. And about other fruits, it always goes based on the year in which it blossoms. And therefore the lulav is going to be a sixth year fruit and the esrig is going to be a seventh year fruit. And then- so the Gemara now asks, well, Bein Rebbe Gamliel, Bein they actually, Rabbi Lezer and Rabbi Gamliel, both actually are of the opinion that the esrit does follow the time when it blossoms and not the time when it's picked. It's not, as we learned in a mission. Esrit is similar to a tree in three ways. And to a vegetable in one way. It is similar to a tree in three matters. That first of all, it has the laws of Arla. Right, that the first three years of an asterisk tree, the produce cannot be benefited from. The fourth year, the, the, the produce of the fourth year has the status of um, neta revai, which means it, it, it has to only be used in Yerushalayim, right? Uh, there's a question, what do we do in Chutzlar? It's right, outside Eretz Yisrael. So we know outside Eretz Yisrael, our law applies on a Torah level, right? The laws of our law that you're not allowed to benefit from the first three years of the fruit, that applies outside Eretz Yisrael, Allah Chalam Hashem Yisinai, right? But, um, the fourth year, that's not so clear what its status is outside Eretz Yisrael. That being said, Esrig would have the same status as fourth year fruit trees for uh, the laws of Netherabai. For the Shvias, and also for Shvias, it follows a tree. And is similar to a vegetable in only one way. Turning the page now. Because based on the time in which it was picked, that is how we follow the year of its tithing, right? So let's say it blossoms in the second year of the Shemitah cycle, it was gathered in the third year. So we know that there's two different types of Meiser that are given. Aside from the Meiser Rishon, which goes to the Levi, 10% goes to the Levi. We also have either Meiser Shani or Meiser Ani. Meiser Shani is eaten in, it has some level of holiness, and it is eaten in Yerushalayim, 
Maeser Ani is given one-tenth to the poor person. Maeser Shani is given in years one, two, four, and five. Maeser Ani is given in years three and six. Let's say that the fruit blossoms in the second year, but was gathered in the third year, okay? So Esrug, we say actually goes, is similar to the vegetable that we follow the time which it is picked to determine which cycle it's going to follow. If it's picked in year three, it is a Maeser Ani cycle. It is a poor person's tenth, and not the fact that it blossomed in year two does not then define it as being a Maeser Shani that it goes to Yerushalayim. David Avigamliel, Abel Ezra, Imer Ezra says, Esrik Shavali Ilan Bechaldaver. Esrik is similar to a tree in all, um, in all matters, right? But the town of our Mishnah seemingly holds that the year of the Esrik is the one in which it is gathered, right? But it doesn't seem to be like that according to anybody, right? Huda Amar Ki Haitana. You have to say that the town of our Mishnah is not like Avigamliel, not like Abel Ezra, he's like a different town. Tanya, we learned in a right, so Amar says, Avtomas Hayed Mishum Chamisha's Kanim, Avtomas said over in the name of five of the Kanim, five of the great Torah scholars. Esrig Acher Lekitala Meister, and Esrig follows after the year in which it is gathered for Meister laws. Rabbiseno Nimnebusha, but the sages gathered and they voted in Usha. Usha is one of the places where the Sanhedrin locate, was located as it was in exile, and where they passed some interesting, you know, big, big enactments. But Amu, when they said, Bain Lameister, Bain Lashvias, Shvias. Sorry, Bein Lamais or Bein the, 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 the year in which it's gathered follows which year it's considered to be of the cycle, whether it is regarding the tithing or whether it is regarding the seventh year. So since we see that it's about the year in which it's actually gathered, so we see that the asterisk would be considered to be a seventh year produce and not a sixth year produce. So that would be the town of our Mishnah who says that at Esrig, you cannot purchase from the Amaretz, but the Lulav you could, even though they're picked on the same day, and even though they blossomed at the same time in the sixth year. Well, the answer is that the Esrig you follow when it's picked, and therefore seventh year produce, and the Lulav we follow when it blossomed, therefore sixth year produce you're allowed to purchase. Okay, great to be back, everyone. Good to see your faces, whoever I do see. And even the ones who I don't see, I know you're there, so that's also good. And uh, yeah, looking forward to continuing as we go through. Sucker. Take care, everyone. Be well. Good night.